And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Are you familiar with telehealth and telehealth solutions? It's the whole idea that you could get medical help, a doctor, a nurse, all kinds of different medicine and solutions for your health and do it over the internet. And why is that important? We're going to talk all about that during today's episode. Now, before I get too far into that and introduce you to who I'm speaking with today, the Economic Development Corporation of Kansas City, Missouri is proud to support the dreamers and doers of our great city through a variety of programs, including Launch KC and KC Up. If you're in or around the Kansas City area, learn more about how how they can help you by visiting edckc.com. There's going to be a link for that in the show notes. And, you know, if you haven't listened for any episodes in the past, first off, Startup Hustle is in Kansas City, and Kansas City is actually mainly in Missouri. I probably blew someone's mind there. That's right. The Kansas City Chiefs play in Missouri. But they have a lot of great programs, and they've been a great supporter of Startup Hustle. And this it, today's guest is a member of their, their recent social venture studio. If you want to apply for grants and, and or to be a part of LaunchKC, go to launchkc.org. You can also find info at EDC. KC.com. That is a mouthful to say. If you say that five times in a row really quick, you won't get it right. With me today, I've got Dr. Shelly Cooper, and she is the CEO and founder of Diversity Telehealth. We are going to talk. She's actually been on the show before. So I guess I'll just go ahead and say, Dr. Cooper, welcome back to Startup Hustle. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about this. I've actually done some episodes in the past about telehealth. Now, your prior episode, which there's also a link to in the show notes, was about bootstrapping tips for startups. That was a popular one, by the way. I don't know if you even knew that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's good to hear. I think it's because all of this is startup founders were bootstrapping at some point, and that's good stuff to know. Now, what I really want to know is a little bit more about your backstory. Well, my backstory begins here in Kansas, but no, I'm just being funny. Um, <laughs> my backstory actually is, starts with me being an educator. I started in business and then uh, decided to become a teacher and I taught for 25 years. During the last part of that 25 years, I decided to get a doctorate and the doctorate is in instructional technology and distance education. Most people don't know what that is, but it's delivery of a service from a distance. Okay. And the service I decided to deliver is the service of medicine. And so without being an MD, a medical doctor, a medical degree, I have an EDD, which is an educational doctorate. So delivering medicine from a distance using HIPAA compliant technology is what I decided to do. And in doing that, I decided to start Diversity Telehealth, left the classroom, and that was uh, quite a few years ago. So Diversity Telehealth has been around for 10 years. 
Oh, wow. Okay. 2012 is when now, I started. Now, you're part of the, as I mentioned, the EDC Casey, and that is really hard to say really fast, three True. or four or five or a bunch of times in a row. But that is, so the Economic Development Corporation of Kansas City exists to help businesses like yours or really businesses at various stages, industries, or people trying to accomplish a specific mission. So they're here to help develop the economic uh, environment. Uh, and they do that through grants or various different things. And you are part of the social venture studio and which all of your, uh, could we say classmates uh, will be on the show too. So look forward to those episodes, but how has it been getting involved with them? It's been amazing. And SVS or social venture studio, we're Mm -hmm. all social entrepreneurs, which means we kind of fall into two categories. Some of us are 501c3, which means we are um, tax free and uh, charitable contributions can be made. And we're also um, for-profit. So there are nonprofit and for-profit. And what we're doing is we're trying to change the world. We're trying to make the world a better place with our products, with our services. And so for Diversity Telehealth, it is a for-profit company, but I also have a 501c3 not-for-profit arm called Diversity Telehealth Community Network. And with that, we provide telehealth resources for homeless folks, for families in transition, for children who may not have the uh, resources that they need, their families may not have it. So we raise money and we make those telehealth services at no cost to underserved communities. So let's stop and define a couple of things. When we talk about 501 and all that, this is, these are not-for-profit organizations. Not-for-profit right? organization, uh, an organization that um, has CEOs and staff members, the same that a for-profit company would have, but their mission is one in that they are trying to make the world a better place. And in doing that, they're able to accept charitable contributions and folks can write those off. The donors can write them off and the recipients are able to operate their companies with those donations. Yeah. And there's some specific tax benefits and other things we don't need to get into, but it's intended to to make things easier for the donor and the recipient company. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I, I'm saddled with all kinds of taxes, doctor. Maybe we should talk <laughs> about that. Or do I, should you should I, give away more I, money. Give I, money I, to. I do. I do. But maybe I need to give more of it to you. That's so, right. I agree. So you, when we talk about underserved communities, um, that ha- can be a pretty broad definition. You mentioned quite a few people. Um, one of the things that, to the best of my understanding, that telehealth has also reached out to has been there's a lot of like rural communities that that really struggle to get doctors and the kind of medical care. Did that did does that also classify as underserved? It definitely does. As a matter of fact, um, there's a program that I'm a part of right now. Uh, HRSA, which is a government agency, funds the Head Start program. It also funds uh, some of the monies to federally qualified health centers. And with that in mind, they put out a challenge called the P4 Challenge. And you'll have to Google it to find out what the other three P's are. But basically what it's trying to do is improve early wellness visits for young ones, for kids going into kindergarten, Head Start. And so Diversity Telehealth has partnered with Head Start, Swope Health, and so the three organizations together are working in Excelsior Springs. I was just there yesterday. Every month, 
they provide health care to rural um, um, citizens there, the young ones, because they have a scarcity of, of health care deliverers. And so when within a certain mile radius, you can't find a pediatrician or you might not be able to find an ophthalmologist or an optician or a dentist. And so being able to provide those services to rural um, rural folks is what we do as well. So that's one of the ways that we help through telehealth and also through um, providing services face-to-face. The mobile medical unit goes there and cleans teeth and uh, performs procedures on little ones, as well as doing the immunizations and other early wellness visits. Well, thank you for doing all that. That's uh, I have a big admiration for people that do all of that kind of stuff, really the whole charitable side of things. And, you know, there's a, as we all should, because there's some, someone needs to handle some of the issues that are coming up. I mean, the, the underserved communities, and I know we were just talking about rural, my, my sister is a doctor. And with that, as she graduated from medical school years ago, I, I mean, I remember her talking about the the struggles that rural communities are going through. And some of them are like paying off the doctor's uh, student loans exactly. if they would come and be the doctor there for like, you know, two or three years or something like that. And I was like, wow, that must really be an issue. And that's, that's been a whole, a whole, no, that's a whole nother topic. But um, yeah, and then underserved as well as, I mean, it just generalized is really any community or group of people that aren't able to get the same, I mean, uh, really breaking this down in a basic way, but are just not able to get regular services or afford them, like the accessibility to services in general. Is that the broad definition? It's access to care. And the access could be uh, transportation. It could be financial. It could be just being able to understand the healthcare education instructions. Maybe that person isn't really able to understand when you take medication twice daily, what time of day? Do you take it both one right after the other? Do you take one in the morning, one at night? Do you need to have empty stomach, full stomach? Um, So there are a lot of, of different ways that um, medicine can be taken, but if we don't understand how that medicine needs to be um, ingested, then sometimes it doesn't really do what it's meant to do. So part of what um, we're doing in underserved communities is trying to educate patients and trying to also provide different ways that they can receive the healthcare. And telehealth is one of those ways. Yeah, telehealth is really it's an outstanding way to look at modern technology's ability to have a far and broad reach. And you know, what I remember, so here in Kansas City, which is the home, once again, the home of Startup Hustle, we were the first uh, major city that, uh, so we partnered with Google to do Google Fiber. And we're the first major city that had gigabit internet. Now that's a pretty common thing now, but I remember when it first came out, that was uh, it attracted a ton of startups here to Kansas City, and some of them were were tell tell us something related, mm-hmm. because that pipeline, that wide open pipeline of bandwidth, let gave this made this possible. Right. And you also look at things like Starlink, you know, Elon Musk's satellite network that mm-hmm. is now going to d- deliver. So it's one thing to have have telehealth, but if you can't even get in the tele side of it because you're in the middle of Africa or right. who knows, the middle of Montana. I mean, exactly. these are same kind of like connectivity issues mm-hmm. somewhere. But but yeah, that that future is is right on top of us. And I think it's going to generate a golden age of, of well, 
helpfulness and entrepreneurship. So cheers to you on that. Now, yes. when it came, comes to your company, you actually used to be called Sure Show, right? Yes. Uh, initially starting out, and, and let me give you a little background on Sure Show. Yeah, and tell uh, us why you changed the name too. Well, yeah, here's, here's how Sure Show actually got started. Um, I've been working, as I mentioned, I, I completed the doctorate in instructional technology and distance ed. And in doing that, I was able to work with some of the federally qualified health centers like Swope Health. And in working with Swope Health and some of the other FQHCs, we discovered that they had a pretty high no-show rate. And that high no-show rate contributes to discontinuity of care for patients, and it also contributes to lost revenue for the providers. And in having that lost revenue, that does not allow... The, the clinics to do all that they need to do. And so I thought to myself, okay, my, my dissertation topic was on the benefits and barriers of telehealth. And if we're working with telehealth, if we're providing telehealth to um, individuals, why can't we provide that telehealth when there is a no-show? So a lot of clinics have a really high no-show rate. The average no-show rate is about one in four. So 25% of those appointments end in a no-show. And I just talked about the, the, um, the barriers to having something like that happen, how it's not really serving the community. At the same time, the day before Valentine's Day in 2018, my father passed away very unexpectedly. And when we found out that he had a medical appointment just a few weeks after he'd passed away, we were, of course, distraught and upset. And since I'm not an MD, I couldn't have treated him. So I thought to myself, what about all of these open slots? What about all these no-shows? What would have happened if there had been a no-show and someone would have called and said, Mr. Brown, we have an opening. We're using telehealth. Would you like to have a telehealth visit? Because the coroner said he was anemic and dehydrated. And those were the only things they could really find. Um, besides him being 87 years old. But um, what I wanted to do was make it so that no other person would need to go through something as senseless as that. There are no shows, there are open slots, there's telehealth available. Why can't we bridge the two together? So I decided to create an app called Sure Show to make sure people show up. And so that's, I don't know, it sounds kind of dorky, but that was what I decided to call it. And uh, Sure Show was getting a lot of traction, a lot of attention, and uh, with some um, startup stories, I'm sure you hear that sometimes one founder has one idea and the other founder has another idea, and pivoting is what startups are for. And so what ended up happening was the, as I mentioned earlier, the P4 challenge came about right about the time that my co-founder and I were deciding that we were going our separate ways. And I decided to take Swope Health and Head Start up on their offer. And I decided to tweak or pivot from strictly working with adults to focusing on children. And we decided to change the name of Sure Show to Come On Now. And with Come On Now, we're encouraging parents to bring their children in for early wellness visits and come on in and take care of your kids. And so now the name of the software is called Come On Now. It's available in the Google Play Store and the App Store. It has several users, not only in the rural area of Excelsior Springs, but also at Emanuel Family and Child Development Center. 
at Martin Luther King in Prospect. So. In Kansas City. Yeah, well, sure, sure, <laughs> sure. We were talking about that before we hit record. I was like, now you know people listen to this all over. So, yeah, I, I looked it up. Promoting pedi- Pediatric Primary Prevention. Good, good. Say that three times in a row. <laughs> I can say it once. That's why Promoting you need to Google Promoting Pediatric it. Primary Prevention. This is actually, this whole entire show is now dedicated to, th- Peter Piper picked a pack <laughs> of pickled peppers. She sells seashells. By the seashore. I, that's what I heard. That's what I heard. I don't even know if it's true. You can't say it. It's not true. You know, when you talk about rebranding and pivoting and changing, there's been, uh, I mean, well, Facebook's a good one. They're now meta. Uh, Subway used to be called Pete's Super Submarines. And then one an often sponsor of this show, Gusto, was once Zen Payroll. So it's not an uncommon thing to to rebrand. And you know what? Things change. So sometimes you have to... uh, yeah, you have to change with them. So as I mentioned, you were on a prior show with Lauren and you talked about bootstrapping tips for startups. So um, how has the last year been since you recorded that show? Like what's new to update us on? Still bootstrapping. A wonderful thing, as you mentioned earlier, is a social venture studio that came along with non-dilutive funding. So I didn't need to um, surrender any equity for that um, financial contribution. Um, Diversity Telehealth is really doing a lot here in Kansas City, Missouri. (laughs) And uh, with that, the earnings from Diversity Telehealth is actually funding the development of the Come On Now software platform. Uh, With that, uh, we will raise funds at a later date, but right now we're bootstrapping. We're very frugal. Um, As people mentioned to me, I can pinch a penny till it screams. And so that's what we do as founders. I have never heard that one. Yeah, pinch a penny till it screams. That makes a lot of sense. We keep joking about Kansas City, but, you know, it really is so misunderstood. People, you know, I think that Kansas City is in Kansas. And it is part of it, like the small part of it. Right. I live in Kansas. I live in the Kansas side. I always have. But you learn there's this invisible line that runs through our city that honestly just makes things kind of a pain in the butt. It really does. And actually, I used to live in Kansas City, Kansas yeah. until three weeks ago. Yep. We just moved across the state lines. Different from rules, different taxes, licenses, different, things, yeah. different licenses, utility like, companies. Everything. It's hard to get people to agree when one side of the city wants one thing and the other side doesn't. And That's then right. you got to try to make sure that like, like, like you mentioned, like our stadiums where the Chiefs and the Royals play, those are in Missouri. That's right. But I, I'm willing to bet on most nights, the people that are going to them are just as much from Kansas as they are from Missouri. Exactly. So who exactly. pays for the stadium? Where do we do that? And man, I just, I've lived here my whole life. Well, most of my life, but this is home for me and it's a challenge. Now with that, we want to grow KCMO. So let's grow. This is the Economic Development Corporation of KCMO's tagline, and it represents how we work with businesses, large and small, and just starting to to locate and grow in the great city of Kansas City. You know, and if you talk to them, yeah, they're in Missouri, but they really want the best thing for the whole city. And we're sitting here chuckling about which side of the line, and you know, you kind of don't even get to notice it. Yeah. Now, they do a lot of great things at edckc.com, including Launch KC, which is doing grants and a grant competition. That's how that whole program started. Then they pivoted a little bit, and we're working on the people that were in the Launch KC. So we've been involved with them for years now, and uh, both at Startup Hustle and at Full Scale, my business, who's given development credits to some of the companies that have been in there. And 
you know, they're just still continuing to do what's the, what the best thing for them and everyone else is. So thanks to everyone at the Economic Development Corporation of Kansas City. Once again, go to launchkc.org and learn about how to maybe get free money. Did you get some free money? I'm applying for it. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I think everyone should. Why not? I mean, it's a, you mentioned one thing about non-dilutive uh, funds and, you know, that's an important thing for a lot of, a lot of businesses, especially like yours, you know, that's, you know, with that, mentioned other forms of funding coming in being a, being a not-for-profit that's gotta be challenging. Well, since diversity telehealth is for profit, okay. that pays quite a few of the bills. Got it. Whenever I raise money for diversity telehealth community network, it's normally either through a Facebook fundraiser about my birthday, July 28th. It's still open. I haven't closed that fundraiser on Facebook, just a shameless plug. Or if I'm looking for it, I'm going to make a donation. <laughs> Good, thank yeah. you. So what we're trying to do is really make telehealth available for anybody in any area, regardless of their economic situation, their educational level, or really what they're able to do on their own. Okay. So healthcare should be available to everybody. So right now, as we speak, I'm donating $100. Seriously? Yeah, it's doing it right now. It's been assuming that my card doesn't get declined. It didn't. It doesn't. You're good. You're <laughs> good close deal. to you are close to your goal now. So there you go. Wonderful. And that was from me, not from the company. Oh, too. thank so you. Can, not that that matters, but No, I appreciate you that. You know that is a tax write-off just so it, you know. Yeah, it's uh I yeah, they uh if I get the receipt for that that's great. If not, that's that's not. I didn't do it for that reason. Um so, you know, back to that, that relationship mm-hmm. with diversity telehealth and all that, how's that, I mean, is that, is, I still think that's going to be a challenge because I think that a lot of the places that money come from don't want to hear that you get it away afterward. Well, the thing is what, what telehealth does, it bridges the gap between having access to care and going to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And eventually, even though we have our, Healthcare insurance we pay, we also pay taxes. Yep. So eventually, folks who use the emergency room as their primary care physician are really spending a lot more money on care that can be done in other ways. And so when we allow care to take place outside of the emergency room, we're really saving ourselves money and we're saving tax dollars for the city. I think that's something that um, I remember when telehealth was first becoming a thing. And I remember kind of thinking about it and I'm like, man, I wonder how insurance companies are going to feel about it. And then I've really learned that they really embrace it right. because it's cheaper. It's cheaper. It makes a lot more sense. And as you mentioned, like going somewhere like the emergency room or I've been just, I think the pandemic really pushed a lot of that it stuff did. like into the spotlight rather than the side stage. I mean, am I right? Oh, you're exactly right. And actually March 20th of 2020, that second week in March, the telehealth usage was a lot lower. The third week in March, March 20th is the, the week prior to March 20th, was much lower. But March 20th itself is a dividing line. And if you look at what was reimbursed by Medicare and Medicaid in the form of telehealth, it just skyrocketed between March and May of 2020 because Friday you could go to the doctor, sit in, in the waiting room and see your doctor face-to-face. By that Monday, doctor's offices were closed. And that's when people said, hey, maybe I can get medical care without going to the doctor's office, which is what I've been pushing 
for a long time. So unfortunately, it took a pandemic to open the eyes of a lot of people to see there are other alternatives for receiving health care that don't involve taking a half day off from work, taking your kids out of school, and driving across town, especially for those folks who are in rural areas and they have to drive hours and hours for a basic appointment. So I believe telehealth saves lives and it saves time and saves money. It's more convenient. I think another key with telehealth and and your I I, I buy into all of the, the mission statements there, but I think one thing that you know, there's so many people that just don't go to the doctor because it's actually it feels inconvenient. Right. So even if you do, you, these aren't necessarily even underserved people. Right. I, I'm on that list. I'm not underserved. I'm under committed to going to the doctor as much as I need to. Like I was even just, you know, pay really big healthcare premiums for myself, my family and the employees at full scale. Mm-hmm. And I look back at it and I even told my wife, I was like, I should just start paying cash for this stuff because I don't ever use it. And I need to be better about that. And uh, one of the reasons is, 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 you know, it, it, everyone knows you mentioned it. Well, it's a lot of easier. Telehealth can open up that door for me a little more. Because if the doctor is a few minutes late, I'm not going to get super antsy. Right. Yeah, I think that's kind of the historic thing with doctors. And actually, I can't remember the name of the company. It was one of our New Orleans top startups. And they were helping solve the problem of late doctors, basically. Really? Yeah, they're using an AI and machine learning uh, algorithm that would basically look at the actual data of every doctor because I think doctors don't want to be late. They're not mm-hmm. trying to be late, but some of them just are. And That's true. you also don't know what kind of emergencies could happen or, or the regularity of them. And those things are tough to predict, but in certain cases where doctors took longer than you know, maybe they're scheduling you know, four appointments an hour for simple checkups. Mm-hmm. And if they were only on uh, historically getting three of them done on time, it would kind of make those adjustments and right. booking availability. Okay. Is that the doc pace? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I yeah, think we would... it was them. It was either them or, well, no, doc, I think doc pace. And that was the company. Do you know them? Just heard about them out in the lobby. Out oh, there. okay. Okay. The, yeah. That was probably <laughs> them because you were talking to our show producer. So she would know. Thank you for, thank you for doing our job, Dr. Cooper. But no, that was uh, doc pace was, um, they, that might've been a component of what they did, but theirs was more about that. Why do I have to fill out the same darn forms every time? Right. So that was their, that was their thing that, but I believe that that could have been the second half. I don't know. I feel like there was two different ones, but. Well, there's modern modern health or modern. Modern health is here. They're a, they're a, that's modern and with an RN and that's Caressa Hutchinson. She's actually Mm -hmm. been on the show a couple of times. Great. Great. I'm trying to meet her. Yeah. Well, we can make that happen. Uh, She was on our top startups list uh, this year and uh, they do, that's similar, similar to what you do, but it's like, it's a, but it's specifically a nurse. Okay. I yeah. see. So like, and it's almost like having a project manager for your health. I see. Uh, which is as I, you know, my, my parents have both passed and my dad recently, but I've gained a whole Sorry new. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, th- thank you. I, I have gained a whole new appreciation for the complexity of keeping that kind of stuff going. And right. You know, as I mentioned, my sister's a doctor and she did a saintly job of doing the things that I, I mean, sometimes I'm looking at stuff, like, I'm looking at like 15 different pills and I'm like, what? So she's like, yeah, she good, good, but, good. Yeah, so thank you, Robin. 
but yeah, it was, there's a lot to keep up with. And so there, theirs is everything from like, actually, sometimes you don't need to speak to doctor someone another. And there's, exactly. you know, there's just someone that can give you some medical input or help. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's the component of that. It is a telehealth thing. And they've been working on that for a while. Now, Matt, during the pan, start, shortly after the pandemic, uh, got moving, um, Matt Watson and I did an episode about, we predicted who we felt the winners and losers of the pandemic would be. And telehealth was like, well, tele anything. Right. Because uh, we had to obviously tele-learning, mm-hmm. tele-health. Learning. That's uh, right. What are other tele-things that we can think about? I mean, there's, there's tele, well, as you meant tele-education. Yes, distance education. As I mentioned, my degree is in instructional technology yeah. and distance education. So, and mm-hmm. currently I'm teaching a, a tele-course uh, through Nova Southeastern University, where I earned my doctorate. So that act, that started yesterday. So one of my many hats I'm wearing is teaching a distance education course. And several of the parents, well, millions of parents, became homeschool teachers during the pandemic. So they were able to see exactly what goes into writing lesson plans and grading papers. And it's not really as easy as a lot of people consider it to be. So uh, making sure that those um, those um, HIPAA compliant types of encounters take place for telehealth, it's just as important to make sure that the Zoom um, connections are secure. So uh, data breaches, all of those types of things are important when we consider doing anything virtually where the service is provided through technology and the two participants are in two different locations. So, so, so when, when she mentions HIPAA, it's Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act and here in the United States, that is uh, falls under five categories, which will first off is privacy. Privacy, exactly. Yeah, and that's that's like rule number one. Uh, then transactions and like code sets rule, security rules, uh, unique identifier rules, and enforcement rules. And these are all just things that that well, I think that the pri- they all kind of stem and start from the privacy piece. Right, keeping is, the patient information yeah. protected, healthcare information needs to remain protected. So in any way possible, not revealing patients' names or what they're going to be seen for or who their providers are, any of that type of information would be considered protected healthcare information. Well, then having some security standards around actually protecting them. Exactly. Where it's stored, um, how it's retrieved, all of those types of factors are important in remaining HIPAA compliant. And the Come On Now platform is... um, connected to HIPAA-TRAC, and HIPAA-TRAC maintains our HIPAA compliance. Um, and so what we do is when there is a no-show, as I mentioned earlier, we contact folks and let them know there's opportunity for a telehealth visit. Yeah. With the project we're doing, the P4 Challenge, we're notifying families and letting them know there's opportunities for you to bring your young ones in, and they can accept it online, receive a notification through the app, and it's all free for the patient. There's a small amount that's paid for by the providing agency. So we've had a lot of success with the Come On Now platform. I read an article recently that when it comes to just missed appointments in general, because, you know, we own Gigabook and that's online mm. booking. Okay. We are not a HIPAA platform because that's really complex and expensive. And there's a lot. Yeah, there's <laughs> inexpensive is the main thing. Uh, but, but, you know, with that, I, I always get anything that involves booking or scheduling or like any no-show kind of stuff because online booking and just simple automation of, of 
of notifications and reminders uh, do a wor- can make a world of difference. Exactly. Because yeah, people just forget. That's they just right. forget stuff. It's just that simple. It's not that they don't want to come. A lot of times or that they can't come. It's just they literally forgot and they find out about it afterward. Right. Um, I was reading an article the other day that said that, that missed appointments just in general was like a multi-billion dollar a 16 year. billion. Yeah, like huge. Is that what it was? So 16, 16 there's billion. a number. When we yeah. look at the number, if, if we're looking at one in four medical appointments end in no-shows, and that's an average, it's it's lower for specialists like neurologists. Was that and just for like medicine? That. 16 just billion for medicine. For me- okay, just for so medicine. Yeah. So it's yeah, much higher. It's like multi-billion. For, yeah, I mean, right. we're talking about everything from missed car appointments to a personal trainer. The orthodontist, yeah. the accountant, the yep. lawyer, architect, all of those. Yeah. So. And, they, and, and here's the thing. If you're a small business owner, it's lost revenue. That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not only, it's not even, if we just look at it from a business perspective, I mean, these are things that what can you do to, to make people actually show up? Another thing that, you know, you mentioned with, with sure show and come on now is, is also a lot of businesses experience, you look at like a service business that say an air conditioning repair place, right. and they're at somewhere from 9am to 11. And they don't have another appointment until two right. o'clock uh, to five. And, you know, you, but here's the thing is the employees still getting paid exactly in the middle of that. And, uh, and that's, uh, you know, I mean, for the business that's lost. I mean, that's sunk cost. Opportunity, opportunity yeah, there. And there's opportunities. So, and then uh, other things that I've seen out there are actually working on dynamic pricing because there are, and that's back to the, the, like the machine learning kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like, hey, these are the spots where you're always booked. Maybe you should charge more. Right, right. You know, so like this is your most in-demand stuff. And I'm a big believer in that. I think that if everyone wants the same spot and only one person can get it, I mean, it's a free market economy. Like as a business, you I want to consider that supply and demand. And, yeah. and it's funny you should mention that because the earlier um, version of the sure show platform um, doesn't have as many bells and whistles as the version we're working with right now. So I've been speaking with my developer about what can we use that for? We can rebrand that so we can change the color palette. We can make it change the words because um, a lot of times when I go to the alterations shop or the shoe shop or even getting jewelry repaired, when do you know if your items are ready yeah. and how much is it going to cost? And they give you these tiny little tickets that no one can ever yeah. keep up with. And so, and they call you, which takes a lot of individual oh, yeah. time on that, on that um, employee's uh, schedule. And so we've decided to rebrand the earlier version to be It's Ready. And we're working with a pilot now with some of the alteration shops and dry cleaners and shoe shops so that they can let people know your shoes are ready. It costs this amount and you can pick it up. So with that very, very um, easy transition, another vertical like notification that you mentioned. So our number one focus is the come on now platform in the medical space. But we also have this little side hustle gig called it's ready. And it's ready will be ready very, very soon. You know, what's crazy is that people think that scheduling is easy. It is wildly complex. And it's the act of putting, I've learned this at Gigabook, which is, so Gigabook's fully customizable, which if I had to go back and do it again, I wouldn't. (laughs) Because you have to build everything like five times more to make it customizable. If I could have done it again, if I had a time machine, I'd go back and just completely master an industry. Or, or a genre because, you know, people will call me up and they'll say, 
hey, man, I think Gigabook would be great for my cousin. I, okay, what does she do? Oh, she's a hairstylist. And I tell them, I'm like, don't. Go find one of the platforms that's right. already made for what she already does because they've already, it's, you know, you don't have to go through and customize it. So the niche that we filled is actually filling the niche for people that don't have a niche, like that don't have an industry specific platform. Really? Yeah. It's all, it's all custom. That's the customized, customizable side of things. And we're, and we openly admit it when we talk to people, like if you have an industry specific platform, mm -hmm. I just told someone that the other night. It was uh, actually India who runs the yes. the, the selfie India suite. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. she was talking to me. She was like, "Well, should I be using Gigabook?" And I was like, "Probably not." <laughs> and she said, "Well, why? I might save some money." I said, "Even if you did, it'd probably be a big pain in the ass to change it over. If you have something that's working for your business, stick with it." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, the so they have like more like a ticketing kind of thing. I see. It can I be see. a little different. So there's all you know when it, whether there is. Don't the the thesis of my statement here is don't assume that any software that you use or whatever is easy to build because it's not because yeah so <laughs> putting something on and off like a singular instance on a calendar is not difficult. What is difficult is the million if thens and the combinations right. and the routing and all that. And if oh, you charge money, right. and you got to have you got to have then you got to have it connected to an invoice, and then if you got to be able to credit it, and what if they only pay a deposit? What exactly. if they cancel? Yes. What if they want to reschedule? <laughs> You're like, what? And then, and then for us, we got to, we have widgets that you install on your website. So you got to make it work on someone else's really bad technology. A lot of times gigabook wow. users upgrade your website. <laughs> They're giving me a headache. I know that's my point. That. It goes on and on. <laughs> we even do like add on sales, group sales. You can book things like rooms. And then what really? about when you need to pair them? What if you have five batting cages, but you have 10 instructors? You can't have the sixth person teaching a hitting lesson, not in a batting cage. So wow. yeah, it gets wildly complex. And, and really the main thing we, the biggest uh, account that we have is actually at full scale, our own company. Really? And, you know, we use it to power all of our, we have a thousand people a month that, uh, that apply for a job at full scale do it for all of our, uh, all of our interviews. It routes people to the appropriate into interviewer. And then when our clients want to talk to a potential team member to at full scale, then that helps them schedule there as well. So wow. <laughs> a, yeah, it's a lot. There's but that's, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's crazy that after all these years and, you know, users and whatever that, yeah, the biggest enterprise user is still us. <laughs> it's created wild, wildly. Uh, it's a, you mentioned just the amount of time that a business could spend, like calling someone. Right. And then, you know, the reason I built Gigabook was I got tired of people asking. They're like, you know, it's actually a friend of mine. I had a dog grooming studio mm -hmm. and I went over, I kept calling and I was trying to get a hold of her because I was going to get married the next day. And I, Whoa. And I could, I was supposed to drop my dog off. And I was like, oh my God, they're not open. The one thing my, my soon to be wife told me to do was to drop off the dog at the kennel. And I was like, and there's no one there. And I, I drove all the way over there, like cursing, sweating, and worried. The oh, two no. dogs sticking their heads out the window the whole time. You know, it's like, all right, so we're going to go do this. And then, uh, uh, I got there and there was a lady in the back, like washing a huge dog. 
So she couldn't answer the phone. Oh no. And I kept thinking, I was like, it just offended my sense of efficiency and business in general. I'm like, how much money is my friend losing? Cause they don't answer the phone. Whoa. So as, as I kept thinking, because what every new bride wants is for you to have a, your new idea <laughs> right before you go leave to get married. So yeah, that was, so that was yeah. a spark of the idea. Huh? That was where it started. We'd already built a lot of the stuff and in a testament to learning that things take way longer and cost more to build. We thought we'd be done right. with it in six months. It took three years. Yeah. That's um, true. It takes twice as long, costs twice as much and much more. That, that's you're hoping. Yeah. That's it. That's wishful. Cause some people never even get to that's it. True. You never even get there you die on the vine or i mean there's a it is a treacherous <laughs> road it, you, or you pivot or do something different but yeah if i could go back and do it again i would i would pick uh something niche you know because mm -hmm. i think you're uh, some of the best advice that i ever received was actually during this podcast and it was one of our i can't remember it was a single digit episode number like one of the first 10 it was really with, it was with Laurel holt the uh founder of car star See those? Mm. So CarStar is national now, but that's right. a, a franchise. It's basically a operating system and franchise for auto body because there was mm. a very fragmented industry and people, and, and they're good at repairing cars, terrible at running businesses. Okay. Apparently it's just not what their focus was, but he, I asked him, I said, well, Laryl, tell, I did the same thing. Give us a little bit about your backstory. He said, well, I'm a coward. And I was like, Whoa, what do you mean? Like, you're wow. not, you're pretty brave. And he said, <laughs> he said, no, I'm a coward. I said, my whole, my whole uh, approach as an entrepreneur is I want to find something that nobody's doing it and then where I can go do it and be left alone till I get really good at it. And it wow. was really like, a, a, that, so that was like, don't take on the giants. Like there's riches hmm. in the niches kind of that's thing. That's true. And yeah, so there's a lot to be said with that. Now, that's a good, maybe a good thing to ask is I feel like telehealth is, it's it, tele anything, learning, all of it. Telelearning might've been one of the first major tele things, mm -hmm. like when Skype came out and stuff like that. I remember teaching each other foreign languages and right, stuff like right. that. But how, how are, how are the headwinds when it comes to your competition? I got to feel like there's that there's not already a lot of it. It's it, they're, they're getting ready. Well, here's the thing. And it's so funny when you said the riches are in the niches because we are concentrating on underserved populations, which are federally qualified health centers. Um, we really aren't going where the people who have a lot of money are going, yeah. but people do also don't realize that those federally qualified health centers are funded by Medicare and Medicaid. And when they are funded by the largest payers in the U.S. Yeah. There is revenue there. Makes so, a lot, makes so a lot of sense. I'm kind of revealing my secret sauce yeah. here. But the point is, um, I don't want to go after the huge guys. I want to protect the smaller ones, the underserved, the underdog. And so bringing this type of service to underserved and underrepresented communities, I think, is my calling. And in doing that, we're able to um, recoup lost revenue for the providers, provide continuity of care for the chronic disease patients, the medically fragile, like my father. And then also we're able to help those clinics see more patients, which means they get better quality measures with those um, agencies that grade them on what they do. So that's my niche. That's where I'm going. And so, um, so far it's, it's been um, an not, I won't say an easy road. I'd have to say more of a more determined road. I know that's where I want to go. So that's where my area is. So those, when actually in two weeks, maybe it's this week, 
the 27th, that's this Saturday, I think, um, the National Association of Community Health Centers is having their conference in Chicago. So I'm on my way there to talk to more community health centers and tell them about the Come On Now platform, hopefully get some more customers and get some interest and really push our sales up and save some lives in the process. By the way, there are no easy businesses. That's true. Show me the easy ones. <laughs> Show me. The, let's do some of those because I haven't found any yet. No, and if, no, they, was... if they are e- easier, they're still not easy, but if they are easier, they usually don't pay that well. So That's true. there's that part too. Once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by the Economic Development Corporation of KCMO. That's Kansas City, Missouri. If you're in the KC boundaries, you can find out who your business development offer, officer is at edckc.com. That's right. You get your own business development officer. That's pretty cool. Uh, we encourage you to connect with these folks out there that are making a big difference in our business community. And while today's show was sponsored by EDCKC, today's guest, once again, was Dr. Shelly Cooper, the CEO and founder of Diversity Telehealth and someone who does more stuff than I thought <laughs> She did before, and we didn't even figure out where we saw each other recently. I don't know. I saw you somewhere. I don't know. I I don't remember. Maybe it was. Maybe it was Keystone. Maybe it was. I'm everywhere, so who knows? Maybe it was my hologram. I send my hologram out, and people think they see me, but it's hey. I want to learn more about how that works (laughs) because I'm ready for that. That's another show. (laughs) I'd invest in that tech. I mean, and why hasn't someone done that yet? I mean, I, I would love to be able to. That'd be great. I could send my hologram out. First off, That's people right. would notice the hologram. They'd be like, is that a hologram or a real person <laughs> when they karate chopped? Like, uh, actually, now I realize uh, people would be doing dumb mm. stuff to my yeah. hologram. That so, could be. You know, I have to work be. that out, too. <laughs> Maybe make it electric or something. That's true. Shocked. A taser. That could, uh, could be problematic, too, because if yeah, <laughs> someone actually bumps into Yeah. Then they'd need telehealth. We're going to work through iterations of this off air. So <laughs> I like to ask every, I, I end my episodes with what I call founder freestyle. I like to ask my guests that are founders to like, I mean, what stood out from our conversation today or what, and from what kind of advice would you give to any young founders or people that want to follow in your footsteps? I think the the biggest lesson I've learned, the most important lesson I've learned as a startup founder, and hopefully others will learn from this, is when you hire or when you decide you'd like to have a co-founder, anybody like that, you are still the CEO. You are still responsible, ultimately responsible. So if something comes up and you don't know how to do it, like um, me being a non-technical founder, you need to learn as much as you can about that. Do not abdicate. You need to delegate. So make sure you, even if you don't know how to code, you know what type of code your, your software is in. You know where it's stored. You know how your product is made. You know who the suppliers are. Because when you don't know your company, it's easy for you to lose your company. So it's really important for you to stay on top of all that pertinent information because you are the chief executive officer and the buck stops with you. Well, I'll add on to that if I if I might. I was driving here this morning and I was thinking about CEO, like the acronym, because people say chief executive officer. Uh, uh-uh. I am the chief everything officer, right? And I have been for a very long time, and that doesn't always mean everything I want to do. It's more about everything that I need to do, or everything that comes up, or how any of that 
comes around. And I agree with you in full. I think if you don't, you need, so I, I do, I have done every job at the business. I mean, everything from taking out the trash to all of it. And some of that is me keeping my finger on the pulse of what's going on. Because if you, especially, well, I had to do my, I'm a non-technical founder who now employs almost 300 developers and I've become highly technical. I don't write code, but I can, I I can get into the weeds with you about Mm -hmm. a whole lot of different stuff. And I've also developed a very strong understanding of how long it should take to do things. And I think that that's a key ingredient uh, is one of the things that non-technical founders have a bad habit of doing until they either drive their team crazy and they all quit or they just learn more is setting unrealistic goals and deadlines um, that aren't really attainable. You know, they, they're like, Hey, we we get this done in a month and the, and your development team's looking back at you and going, no, no, (laughs) you're not getting this done in a month. In fact, not only are you not (laughs) getting it done in a month, you're probably not getting it done in a year. And that, and that kind of, that, I mean, yeah, sure. It's great to be optimistic, but I'm a realist at this right. point. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 50. I'm trying to, I, I just a baby. There's just, well, still, but I'm looking at it. I'm like, <laughs> Hey, but there's a reality. And then there's like, you can be idealistic or realistic and right. like, you know, and then you got to factor reality. And I think Warren Buffett said nine women don't make a baby in a month. So it's That's the same, true. it's the same thing. It's like, you can't want it. There's <laughs> Uh, there's some, there's someone one. out there going, man, you can manifest all that. No, uh, I don't know. no, you not, you can manifest all day and all night. Nine women still don't make a baby in a month. I'm going to go ahead and end our show on that note. <laughs> Startup hustles brought to you by fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.